I want to be able to provide that confidence to other kids. And I know that when I coach or I go to clinics, like kids gravitate toward me because they can see themselves in me. Welcome to the third season of the Good Tidings Podcast, where we highlight and inspire a community of givers with your host, the founder of the Good Tidings Foundation, Larry Harper. Today, I'm sitting here in Commerce, California with a four-time Olympian and dear friend, Brenda Villa. So Brenda, welcome to the Good Tidings Podcast. Thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be able to have a conversation with you, Larry. Before we get to all the great community work you were doing, I want to chat a bit about your amazing career. And for those people listening that don't know much about water polo, I've said this before, probably to embarrass you, but Brenda is the Babe Ruth, Michael Jordan, Kerry Walsh Jennings, or Tom Brady of her sport. Went to four Olympics, won four medals, water polo player of the decade. You're even in the Swimming Hall of Fame. But I think where you came from and how you got there for me is the real story. So first of all, just kudos to such an amazing career. Thank you. And to be named after all those great (laughs) athletes, I will take it, Larry. But yeah, we're in the city of commerce. And I think the unique piece here is I come from a low-income background. My parents immigrated to the U.S. and the city of commerce offered great parks and rec programming to all of its residents at a low cost and free. So that gave me the entryway into aquatics, which is a very, very expensive sport. As you know, you're, you know, Bridget was a water polo player. So it's a very affluent, expensive sport. And the city really just broke down all those barriers. And my mother was able to sign us up for some lessons and into this sport of water polo that none of my family knew. Like no one, I mean, what is water polo? If I ask any of my relatives in Mexico, they're like, (laughs) what? It really just gave us another avenue, another opportunity to explore. And we were lucky. We loved it. And it led me to many places. Yeah, for sure. It was interesting because you mentioned my daughter, Bridget, and she just had a, a wonderful time growing up in the sport, playing for over 10 years for the Stanford Club High School and College. And I remember at a young age, the Stanford Club was going to make a water polo trip down here for a USA water polo age group tournament. And of course, for those who aren't aware, Southern California is the mecca of water polo, certainly in the more affluent areas. So the coaches announced, hey, we're going to be playing at Commerce, California. Now, I grew up in San Gabriel, California, just a few miles east Mm -hmm. of here. Is this the real commerce? (laughs) We're not going to Newport Beach. We're not going to San Diego. We're not going to Malibu. It's such an interesting thing that's happened here. So tell us a little about the program that's offered here in the City of Commerce for girls and boys. Yes. So I would say back in the 70s, the city council decided that they would invest the next amount of money into all of their parks and rec programming, but also to their aquatics programming. So if you live in the city, you can participate on the team for free. So there's a swim team and a water polo team. And most kids do both because then you do, you're in the water every day of the week. And that comes from like your parents being on the booster club and you get your free swimsuit, your parka. 
And, and it really is great. I remember growing up and having like city vans or city buses take us to different games and tournaments and excursions. And to me, that was normal. And then you leave your little city and you explore and you're like, this is not normal at all. So it is something that has been in my head since I left commerce because I know that I would not have become the Olympic champion if I didn't grow up in the city because my parents didn't have the disposable income to put me in such an expensive sport. So a lot of the things that I do, I do because of the gratitude and love that I have for my city. Yeah. And then, so we come to the tournament and I'm walking up and this is just not a swimming pool. This is a world-class aquatic center. And it's just, I, my first thought, because Good Tidings builds a lot of facilities, mm-hmm. over 200 in the past 28 years. My first thought that came to my mind, and I walked, we were, I was walking in actually with John Tanner, the head coach of Stanford University, and I said, every mayor from every low-income or underserved community needs to see this. Because it's, it's, it's more than swimming or water polo, it's water safety, it's, it's, there's something about the sport that's disciplined mm-hmm. that every young child, really every community should invest into an aquatic program or facility like this. You agree? I agree. And then we're here in the library. And if you just see the resources that the city puts into what the citizens could take advantage of, we walked from the swimming pool essentially and 20 steps are at the library. And those were the two main hubs for me growing up, right? Because yes, sports teaches you so many life skills like discipline. But for me, it was also like, where's that education piece? Like, where am I going to go to read books to make sure that I'm doing well in school also? In high school, you had to actually play on the boys water polo team. There wasn't even girls opportunity. And so how was that? Yeah. So the interesting thing, and I think it's because of the community I grew up in, there weren't many girls playing water polo. I know that once I went to Stanford, some of my teammates did play on all girls teams, but it's just what community did you grow up in? What access did those other girls from different families have? So going into high school, I knew that I would have to try out for the boys team. And it wasn't too scary or daunting to me because I grew up playing with other boys here in commerce. So we had co-ed teams. So all of my teammates I had mostly seen, and my older brother was on the team. So I knew that even though he would never say I was a good player, that he had my back. So yeah. there was never a sense of like fear because I knew that my teammates knew me and treated me as an athlete and would protect me if that was needed. Yeah. And I, I was reading, not only did you make the water polo team, you were all CIF first team all four years, and for people that don't live in California, see it, all CIF is the equivalent in other states to being all-state player. So that's quite an accomplishment to jump right into a boys' team and be at the top of that level. I mean, that's pretty amazing. You know, we had a great team. You know, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's a great team. <laughs> yeah. And you mentioned being a child of Mexican immigrants. So when your parents came here, you happened to live right across the street from the park. I mean, that's just serendipitous, obviously. Yes, Because you're yes. just staring right at this aquatics facility every day. Yes, and I've always said, and people I don't think really understand until you come to commerce and know the landscape of just youth sports, right? And water polo found me. Like, if you look at the history of water polo, too, I believe the first women's international tournament was held in commerce. Sandy Nita, who's a pioneer in the women's World of Women's Water Polo was a lifeguard here, an Olympic swimmer, and then coached water polo here and started water polo here. So really, it found me because 
if I lived anywhere else, my story would be different. Yeah, for sure. And when growing up here, was the sport a motivator for you or was it just too hard to even dream that you could actually go to a place like Stanford and then go to the Olympics? Definitely a motivator. There were women before me that played water polo, but like you mentioned Title IX earlier, they had just missed the cut where there weren't varsity programs, so they couldn't play water polo, but were they as good as me at that time? Yes, but they just didn't have those opportunities. So in my community, there weren't girls high school teams, but there were varsity programs starting like UCLA and and Stanford added it as varsity. So I could start dreaming about it. And I think water polo was always something that, or sports, I did every sport you could name here at the park, right? Because I'm one that says we shouldn't specialize until maybe high school, right? So here you saw that these fields, I played softball and soccer and you name it, I did it all. And I think that helped me just stay disciplined and kind of manage my time. And my mom always said, as long as your homework's done, you could be at the park all day and do whatever you want. So it just went hand in hand. And through these experiences, through the swim team and water polo team, I was at a Pac-10 swimming back then. And that's how I fell in love with Stanford. It gave me the opportunity to see beyond my little city. Yeah, interesting. And then uh, as I'm just driving here from Los Angeles and the city of commerce is just basically a mile or two south of Los Angeles, right off the I-5, and I get off the exit, I drive up to the park here, and the entire facility now is named the Brenda Villa Aquatic Center. Is that kind of wild? It's very wild <laughs> because you think about how buildings get named, right? It's either there's a lot of money donated or people that are no longer with us. Right. So I, you know, I'm still here and I don't have a lot of <laughs> resources, financial resources. So it is wild. And I always joked about only buildings get named after people after they won gold medals. And for the city, that's kind of the way it happened. So I'm grateful and I hope that the legacy and my hard work here in commerce as an athlete continues to inspire others. And is it only the Olympics? No, but it's like a commitment to a goal and seeing that through and also always remembering where you come from. Yeah. Yeah. And there's something also about being an Olympic athlete. Um, I talked to a lot of them and they're It's such a unique path in life, all the work that goes in for every four years. It's a very humbling situation. And and I know from that, and I've just known you so long, you've been such a giver back to your sport and to introduce more people into it. And I know over 10 years ago, you started a program up by us in East Palo Alto and East Menlo Park called Project 2020. Tell us about your goal for that at that time. Yes, Project 2020, I think it was... My co-founder was one of Bridget's club teammates, Skylar Dorison, right? Like, I, she was probably on that same trip with Bridget. Yep. You come to the City of Commerce, you hear about the story of an athlete that's on the national team that came from this city, and you're like, wow. And you realize it's because she had access and opportunity. So with that, Skylar was inspired to want to provide swim lessons and access to kids in the Bay Area, in, in your neighborhoods where maybe there's a line between you know, the very affluent with the communities that need just a little extra support. So water polo is such a small world. So we teamed up and realized that together maybe we could offer that. And it was at the end of my, coming to the end of my water polo career, and I knew that I wanted to give back. It was always about giving back. And, you know, another piece to that is also my college coach, 
who's always been a mentor, who's still a mentor, who through our college team, we mentored in East Palo Alto. We went to elementary and we tutored. And sometimes I felt more at home there than I did at Stanford. So there was just all these things that came together and these conversations we had. And it's like, why can't we create something like commerce here? Why can't we try and give that opportunity? And it's all about access low cost and opportunities. So that's what we started to do. We did it at a few high schools, giving lessons. And then when I finished with competing, I moved up there and we were able to find a pool in East Menlo Park, the Bowhaven Pool. And it was a, a weird partnership because then you get into, not weird, I would just say just different, right? You get into pools, like who owns the pool, who leases the pool. Like pools are a whole different, <laughs> you know, category when yeah. you're trying to give back and use volunteers. So we, we made it work. And ultimately, we, you know, we teamed up with other organizations like BBAF, Beyond Barriers, Athletic Foundation. And we found a way to subsidize lessons. We found a way to start a water polo team. So towards the end of the 10 years of Project 2020, from swim lessons where we partnered with boys and girls clubs, it became into creating a water polo team and subsidizing tournaments and travel and equipment. So through Menlo Swim and Sport and the city of Menlo Park, I managed this pool and I ran a water polo program. And I recently, last week, got an invitation to a quinceañera. Like, I moved out of the area, and one of these girls that played, that started with me at age 10, you know, is still like, if you're available, we'd love you to come. And to me, that's the true testament of building a program and connecting with the community. Like, I was trying to build a commerce, so I'm not there anymore. I'm back in Southern California, but I know that we left, like, a lifetime memory there with the work that we did. Yeah, it was tremendous. And and now back in Southern California, you've now started the Brenda Villa Foundation. Tell us about that mission. We've shifted, right? The Project 2020 was a lot of programming. It was a lot of hands-on. And, you know, now I'm a mom of two and things change. And we also wanted to expand our reach. So with Project 2020, it was really only the Bay Area. So now with the Brenda Villa Foundation, we want to be able to help programs across the U.S. And we want to take it back a step and think about how do we increase diversity? How do we increase access, right? If we go back to water safety and go back to the basics, to what really the mission was of Project 2020, but wrapped up into creating a water polo team, right? It's like we want more kids to learn to swim and be safe. And with more kids swimming and being safe, then there will be more water polo players will create more swimmers. And we are specifically looking for marginalized communities or underrepresented communities. So if we can grant money in those communities and partner with existing programs, we're all gonna win. Like we don't have to reinvent something. Like we found, then this to me was like a game changer. I hadn't really thought about it, but there's this swim school in San Jose and they do bilingual swim lessons, right? And you think about the fear that I've seen on pool decks in the lessons that we give where parents don't know how to swim, their kid probably only speaks Spanish, they're learning from an English swim instructor, and all the parents are around the pool deck because they're like, what happens if my kid lets go of the wand and doesn't understand the swim instructor? So these are things that I wish I would have known or just caught on earlier because we, I think we could add a bigger difference in Menlo Park. But even things like that. So now it's like finding these communities. And sometimes these programs reach out to us. So along with my co-founders, Kelsey Holzhauser and Kyle Lutsumi, we just have so much experience 
in aquatics, in coaching. And it's like, how do, can we help you? Can I use my platform to get you a meeting with a director of Parks and Rec because you want to start a program? Reach out to me. So there's different ways where we want to use our institutional knowledge and also grant money to different programs across the U.S. Yeah, which is wonderful. Because, you know, if you read the 2020 census, 39% of this state has Latino. Only 35% is Caucasian or white. Yet almost every water sport, swimming, water polo, surfing, sailing, anytime water, it's white country club access, unfortunately. And the state is, has got such a beautiful ocean and so many lakes and so many pools that I think what you're doing is spectacular. And I know you have a lot of programs that represent people of color. And last summer, I think, or during COVID, you hosted a camp for children of color. Tell us what you hoped the outcomes of that might be. Yeah, so I realized that I was, again, very fortunate to grow up in a city of commerce where I wasn't the only, right? Our, our team was primarily Latino, not just, you know, I'm Mexican-American, but there is a mixture of Latin American countries represented here. And I think that gave me a confidence that I don't think I would have had if I would have grown up in another city being the only on a team. And I want to be able to provide that confidence to other kids. And I know that when I coach or I go to clinics, kids gravitate toward me because they can see themselves in me. So that's why through partnership with 6-8 sports like Maggie and Tony, I was like, hey, this summer I'd love to run a camp. And it's like, sure, do it through one of our sites and whatever you need. And it's so great to have other partners in the sport. And, you know, it was not highly attended, but it wasn't meant to be this huge camp. It was like we have these 15 spots for anyone that identifies and wants to be in this community. And I'm hoping to just build awareness amongst the athletes so that they know that they're not the only ones playing the sport. And if they need to reach out because they're experiencing something that maybe no one else on their team could help them with, like, now you have this group of support. And it may be that kids come every week, every summer if I do this, or they come once and, it, and it's enough for them. So it's whoever feels like they need that support. Like I wanna be able to start building that community for them. Yeah, we talked to a lot of people on this podcast about the benefits of water, being in the water, surfing, swimming, what have you. And in this time of COVID and, and kids' mental health mm-hmm. being at the forefront, there's something about being in the water that's so therapeutic, especially if you could get yourself just swimming some laps and you're under the water, there's no sound, there's no distractions. This is a sport that's bigger than the sport itself. Yes. For, me, for sure. And I know recently or earlier this year, you went up to Pasadena and worked with the Rose Bowl Aquatics, where every third grader in this, and I didn't know this, in the city of Pasadena has given free swim lessons. Shouldn't that be everywhere? Yes. So it happens that I'm job searching right now. So I was in talks with past the Rose Bowl Aquatic Center and we came up with this idea and they're like, why don't you come out and do a clinic for the families? And then as we were talking about all this, it it got postponed due to COVID. So it hasn't happened yet. But in these talks with the Rose Bowl, I just kept finding out that they offer this great program. Like, why doesn't everyone do this? All third graders in that school district get lessons at the Rose Bowl Aquatic Center. And that is like a state-of-the-art facility. The Rose Bowl's there. There's so many things, right? And I believe it's in one of their big grantees or people that they get funding from is LA84. 
And you're just like, wow, like these are some great organizations that are doing great work that get it. Right. And I've always heard or I've heard in the past that I think it's Columbia or some of the Ivies that require you to pass a swim test before graduation. Right. And I've always thought that was genius. And then I think about why don't we do that at the younger levels? Right. Like sometimes when you get to college, like the fear might be too much to overcome. But I think as a third grader, you're fearless. Right. Let's go get in the pool and learn to swim. So. Any chance that I get, I talk about that program because I think others should ask them or look into it so that other school districts can do that. Like, let's make it happen. Like, I'm happy to help any school district that wants to make this happen in Southern California. So you go back to what great school programming could provide for your community and in partnership, right? Everything is about partnership and collaboration. So it's just, it's genius. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really loved hearing that. And now you're currently working with the state superintendent of public instruction on an important initiative. Tell us a little bit about that. Yes. So, you know, this is the 50th anniversary of Title IX, and I'm a woman sports foundation athlete ambassador. And they reached out because they were going to visit a school that has done the Santee Academic Complex, I believe it's called, has done great work in this gender equity. I believe, like, the gap between women and boys they are playing sports is, like, 3%. Like, something where you're like, wow, like, that's something that all schools should aim for, right? They had, like, the first gender-neutral bathroom. So they're doing a lot of work, like, inclusive work. So the state superintendent of instruction, I believe, was going to do a visit there. So we did a visit together at that school and it was so great. I mean, he's awesome. So it was great for me to just be around policymakers, around schools that are student centered. And then the bonus for me was meeting the water polo teams and then learning about the obstacles they have and just trying to find ways to help. Right now that I'm back in Southern California, it's different, right? So now I'm like trying to get my feet on the ground and see where I can help. It's always, to me, it's like, how do I give back? How do I use this platform that I have? And I'm hoping to be able to do some fundraising for them because I know, especially after COVID, right, everyone just has taken a hit. So they have two female coaches that are alums of the school. Their story is just great. So I'm like, how do I come back here? And then how do I help you? So that's on my mission of to-do lists. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great story when I read that. Now, as an Olympian from Los Angeles, I'm sure you're excited about 2028 and the LA games that are coming here. I know you're on the LA 28 athletes committee. How do you plan to use your influence for good on that platform? Yes, you know, and one of the things that is great is our fearless leader is Janet Evans, and she wants to make sure that, you know, the athlete's voice is always represented in all aspects of the game. And for me, something that I want to be able to contribute is also the voice of the local community and the legacy that these games can leave. I, I, I want it to be a great experience for all. I know that from the 84 games, There have been some legacies like the great LA84 Foundation that does great work. So how do we make sure we can do it just as good or better than that? So many generations after could benefit from having such a big event here. So for me, it's making sure that there's like that local 
lens or framework into the conversations we're having also. Yeah, and for people who don't know, the LA 84 Olympics, it left millions and millions of dollars behind for public good. We actually did a project in South Central LA building a sand volleyball court mm. with a grant from them with Kerry Walsh Jennings. And, and that's LA 28, where you have 40 years and money is still coming out, which I'm sure LA 28 is going to learn from that. It'll even be a, a better opportunity, I'm sure. I mean, I'm sure, especially with some of the emphasis being like athlete centered, right? Like, of course, the Olympics are such a big thing and there's a lot of interest. But if we make sure that we're bringing everyone to the table, it has to be better. Yeah. Well, we'll definitely put in our show notes a way for people to engage or donate to your Brenda Benita Foundation. You are really such a great American success story that I certainly was happy to share with everyone today. Congrats on a life well-lived and all you will do to help California communities of need. The example you set for young girls is really spectacular. I mean, I saw it in my own eyes with my own daughter who, even in our house, even my son knew. <laughs> Brenda Villa's name came out in every other conversation and everything had to be the number four. So yes, your influence. Bridget, yes. <laughs> the influence is powerful and I think they see you and what you did. And I think just you showing up at all these places is just tremendous. So thank you for all you've done. Thank you to you, Larry, and good tidings. I've been able to get a glimpse into the great work you all do. So this is, I'm happy and honored to have this conversation for your podcast. Well, I think a partnership is in the works somewhere down the line between our two organizations. So let's plan on that. Yes, we'll make it happen. All right, be well. Thank you. Thank you. have just enjoyed an episode of the Good Tidings podcast, highlighting the goodness in people. To learn more about and to support the Good Tidings Foundation, log on to goodtidings.org. This monthly program is brought to you by the generosity of responseresponsibility.org. Don't miss out on the Good Tidings podcast by reviewing and subscribing to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.